bang, bang. I'm just looking for one divine hammer. One divine hammer. Hello, my friend. Hello, how you doing? I was, I'm doing great. I was just singing Divine Hammer by the Breeders waiting for you to log in. Haven't thought of that song in a very long time and it just kind of what? popped into my head. So oh, amazing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think I still have Cannonball on my playlist on my phone. I'm sure I have that cassette around somewhere still. So, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, what was quite lovely today as I was able to finally listen to your um, Minnesota that you, mm. that you recorded. And of course, it plays on my iTunes. And Right after that, um, the talking heads started playing. This must be the place. <laughs> Jesus. Like, wow, there's a transition. Um, <laughs> that's kind of neat. Um, but I, I really like it. And I think it's um, it's wonderful that you're being so vulnerable in that piece. And I think it's really up to you whether you want to share it more widely. But I think it would help all you. I, I'm more than happy to share it because, um, honestly, th this is something I was thinking about. And I still, I fucking classic adhd shit but i got out of bed at 6 30 this morning with like made my list and the first thing with the number one circled beside it was write my article for this piece and i still have not committed one fucking word into the word processor but i've been like kind of forming it in my head while i've been doing other tasks and um I so part of what I realized um when I was kind of thinking about like you and I uh getting back in touch and blah 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 was that it was really your vulnerability in putting yourself out there and talking about your ADHD on Instagram that um, uh, gave me the kind of like, I guess, kind of freedom um, or inspiration to uh, want to talk about my own because it's like, oh, well, shit, um, here's another person who I know is very, very smart and creative and interesting and fun. And they've also really struggled with their life in certain ways that I see parallels to in myself. And so it's like by you opening up that little bit and me um, wanting to do the same off of the back of that, hopefully the two of us can then reach far, far, far more people together and inspire those people to kind of reach more people themselves and start to talk about this thing for for each other and with each other. And that's yeah, when I think about it, kind of um, why I want to do this is because it's basically platforming and helping people relate. And so if I, someone who has an easy time being vulnerable and kind of putting myself out there like that, if that helps other people to be more vulnerable in their private lives, then I'm happy to do that. So. Yeah, that's wonderful. And I think that that's just such a grounded and intentional way of being in this. I'm Robbie McDonald. I'm Jordan Lane. We're two writers who've been friends for 15 years, which I can't believe. Recently, we both discovered we have the shared experience of figuring out we have ADHD, him in life. This podcast is a platform for adults to share their own stories of discovering neurodivergence, as well as a way to spread awareness of ADHD. It's a podcast about ADHD, hosted by two people with ADHD. While each episode has a general theme, our meandering trains of thought mean we often cover several other themes in the process. We are not experts, simply two people sharing their experiences of discovering their ADHD in midlife. If you suspect you or someone you know may have ADHD, speaking to a medical professional should be part of your discovery journey. You talked about 
um, how you and I know each other. So maybe that's kind of a good con- context to start with. I think the I think the a better first context to start with mm-hmm. is just literally both of us introducing ourselves. Who are okay. we? What do we do? Like, why are we? You know, <laughs> I got weirdly nervous just now. Isn't that funny? I was like, oh my god, this is on the record now, and now I need to get nervous. Um, so I, I guess you could call me a multimedia professional. I've been telling stories. Um, all my life, really. But since 2002, after going to journalism school, that's when I started getting paid for it. Mm. And I've been doing that for most of my adult career. And I love it. I think stories are how we live and discover each other. And I think it's, that's not something that's ever going to go away. And whenever I try to, it just doesn't work out for me. So I'm more committed to that now than ever. And so I live in Vancouver, I moved here Eight years ago. Holy crap. I can't believe it's been that long. And uh, in that time, I've really discovered a lot about myself. That um, Meditation has become a really big part of my life. Um, being out in nature, becoming a person who can live in the world without substances. Mm. That was, I think, one of the biggest things for me in moving to Vancouver. I've had a primarily sober lifestyle since moving here. And it's almost like the city commands it you just it just like it just doesn't make sense to be hammered in vancouver and calgary made sense for me for 20 years (laughs) but it just doesn't make sense here so um i read a lot a lot and and lately i'm actually starting to finish books um which is nice um because i have so many books that I bought that are like gathering dust in my bookshelf. So I, that was one of my commitments to 2012 to actually finish all the books that I bought before I start buying new ones, just borrow things from the library. If I'm excited about them, I'm getting tangential. So as an intro, I think that's a, that's a pretty good one for me about who I am. And yeah. And one thing that you haven't done though, is you haven't just literally told me what your name is. It's Robbie McDonald. And I find this challenging to say because I've been going by Roberta since 2001 when I went back to journalism school because a dude in a bar who played in a band that I was trying to impress told me that I should go by Roberta in my byline so people would know I was a woman. Who cares, right? But I think that that that's classic ADHD, like trying to please. And I just want people to like me. So I'll call, I'll go by Roberta, even though I hated Roberta growing up and people made fun of me. So Robbie just feels more like me. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll call you Robbie from here on out. That's it's so interesting because that's literally something I was thinking about when I was driving home. And then of course, because I had the steering wheel in my hands, I couldn't make a note in my phone to like, hey, ask Roberta whether she likes Roberta or Robbie because she goes by both in different contexts. So yeah, so that was something that I made a mental note of to ask you up top before we started recording. And then because I didn't have a chance to write it down, it completely flew out the window. <laughs> <laughs> so that's something that happens to me frequently as well. My name is Jordan Lane. Um, I do a lot of things out here in Calgary, Alberta. I work as a style consultant. I also do some writing, some podcasting. I used to work in search and metadata for a long time, which um, I found really interesting and still uh, like to use that knowledge in other areas of my life. But um, that's no longer how I make my living. So Roberta and I know each other for context. We used to work together at a startup called iStock Photo in Calgary, um, which was bought up by Getty Images. uh, I want to say 2006, February 2006. 
Um, so we both came in, uh, I started August, 2006. Roberta, when did you start again? February of 2006. Cool. Yeah, it was right after the buyout. Right. So, um, so yeah, so we both joined at a very similar time where, um, the company was sort of finding its footing, uh, transitioning between being a scrappy little startup with, I think I was the 35th employee and then being bought out by effectively the 800 pound gorilla of the industry <laughs> and, um, beginning what would be a very, very slow and at times painful, uh, process of kind of like subsuming it as an entity. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, so that's, how Roberta and I got to know each other um, was through working together. She was working as a writer at the time. I was working in uh, search and keywording. And um, yeah, we became friends, uh, even took a little road trip out to Vancouver to see Bjork at one point, I want to say 2008 or so. 2007. Yeah, I, yeah, I think it was 2007. Yeah, I remember yeah. that road trip so well. It was yeah. a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, and then we sort of popped, we, Talked back into each other's lives every few years. If I'd gone out to Vancouver, I'd look you up or whatever and we'd visit. Um, but yeah, we hadn't actually been in touch for, I would say, probably five years or so now until maybe a couple months ago. Um, so I had been off social media and uh, started up an Instagram account recently, again, um, for my business. And yeah, reconnected with Roberta. And then I saw that she had um, made a video post about living with ADHD. Maybe you want to talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So when I got diagnosed, it's only been like six weeks or two months ago. One of the ways that I wanted to process it was just talking, you know? And, and so I thought, well, if I, if I make a short video about this and I talk about it, that maybe this will help me in some way. And it's interesting that we had reconnected on Instagram because as you, you know, I, I quit Facebook in 2014 mm -hmm. and Twitter in 2016. And then Instagram, after I read for or reasons to delete your social media accounts <laughs> in a in a rage. I, yeah. I deleted my account and lost a lot of photos that actually I'm kind of sad about. But mm. um, so when I started it again, um, I guess I started it when I was working at United Way. I just thought, well, this could maybe be a way for me to document some of the things I'm doing for work. And then when I saw you, I was like, oh, this is so great because you were one of the people that I kind of miss seeing on social media mm. and miss connecting with. So I was so happy when you reached out. And then when you said Oh, me too. I was like, what? <laughs> no way. Because I wouldn't now I now it makes sense, of course, when we start talking about some mm -hmm. of your experience, but I always viewed you as somebody who had their shit together. So you know, it's just really great that um that we're having these conversations, you know. Absolutely. I think one of the things with ADHD is that often you'll find that it's people you wouldn't expect because we've spent so much of our life overcompensating. Um, and living in this like veil of fear that we're going to be found out, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm, I'm so delighted that we've uh, reconnected again. We are going to talk a little bit about our own experiences with kind of figuring out we had ADHD in adulthood. That's going to be the broader sort of overarching theme of this show. I think um, it's going to be a number of, of different kinds of expressions of form and content, I think. But uh, the biggest sort of link between everything that we're going to do is about figuring out that you had ADHD in adulthood, the sort of revelations and the reconceptions of self and the reconfiguring and rebuilding of an entire new life, basically, in the wake of this knowledge. 
Um, and yeah, and a lot of the kind of grief and healing that comes along with it and uh, understanding and, and getting to see the events of our lives as well as ourselves through a more forgiving context, which I think is, at least for me, the biggest part of um, what has been, as I said to you before, kind of the double-edged sword of the knowledge around this, the knowledge that like, oh shit, I have ADHD mm -hmm. is like, so, you know, it, it's, it's so liberating to be freed from um, this moral dimension of uh, I couldn't do all these things because there was some failure in me as a person or because I wasn't trying hard enough, but it's like, no, what actually like that that's the narrative that i've been telling myself my whole life is that you know um i have so much potential but i can't reach it and here's all these things that i should be capable of doing and i know that i can do but like here's all these things that i've done in my life but how come i haven't done these other things that i know i could do but like i can't figure out how i get from where i am now to getting there and where i am now is i'm kind of like getting this new context and it's like well, no, you're not a person who barely accomplishes anything and, you know, struggles to finish things. You're actually a person who, given that your brain functions the way it does, has managed to do an enormous amount with your time and talent and intelligence and managed to cope very, very well with no help through um, a very difficult uh, situation to kind of not realize that you're living in your whole life yes a thousand times yes i mean I, I relate to all of that and moral dimension what a great phrase i hadn't really thought of it that way i've i've usually just thought of myself as being deeply flawed and lacking character <laughs> and which are awful things to think about yourself and you know, they're sorry go ahead <laughs> um but it is a pretty common trait for folks with ADHD to have incredibly low self-esteem. Even when we're high output, even when we've done a lot of things, I've written three books for fuck's sake. Right. But I don't, I never talk about that. Yep. Like that's a, those are accomplishments. Right. Um, and instead I think about failings and I lead with that quite often in conversation or if somebody sent, you know, would uh, pay me a compliment about something, I would say, Oh yeah, but it's just this. Right. Um, and so I love that you're pointing to that kind of moral dimension of it because we live in, you know, late stage capitalism where productivity is valued above anything else. So to think of ourselves as somehow being morally inept just because we didn't do all those things, I think is on a philosophical level, so cruel, mm -hmm. you know, and we don't, we have value no matter what everybody does, but with undiagnosed ADHD and you don't know why you're not able to complete the things that, you know, on, on one hand, we're completely lighting you up one day, but then by the next day had completely, you just lost interest. I mean, that happens to me so many times, yep. <laughs> how many projects I've started and other book projects and oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, so I am trying to practice a lot more self-forgiveness right now. And also understanding that so many of the things that I had chalked up to being character flaws were, in fact, a function of ADHD and a lack of dopamine in my brain. Like, it's a chemical process going on that had been going on my whole life. So, of course, it's going to take time for me to kind of undo that way of thinking 
and also to um, to learn different ways of functioning, being more organized, being more quote productive, um, but not necessarily just getting into the grind of it all just because I have this awareness. I don't want this to mean that I'm now able to work as a sort of a um, a drone and just like produce, 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 produce. You know, I don't want to do that either. I, I'd like to come at it with a sense of intention. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I think that you know, with you being a musician and doing all these other things, I'm, I'm, I'm just so stoked. I know I use the word stoked a lot. I don't know if I did that before I moved to BC, but I do anyway. Um, <clears throat> so it's, it's, it's just exciting for me to see you doing all the things that you're doing and see how intentional you are about things, you know, about the fresh eye and about those wonderful Twitch shows that you're doing, mm. you like break down, like, you know, what Scully was wearing. Right. It was so great. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just like um part of part of that is well there's a few things that are going on. So something that you touched on a minute ago um that I think I, I made a little note about it in our document here because I think we're going to have to do a whole mm. episode about it at some point is just about uh ADHD and sobriety, I think. Mm. Um because many people myself included, I don't know if uh, it was your experience um trying to effectively self-medicate for aspects of ADHD with either alcohol or drugs. Um, certainly for me, alcohol uh, was a big part of how I got to sleep from a long time, probably from my early 20s through till, I don't know, 2015, 16. Um, and then I really slowed down. Uh, basically, I got a cannabis prescription um, to help me with sleep, which it did. And it was fantastic. Um, uh, you know, I lost a bunch of weight because I was able to get to sleep without like 600 calories worth of beers at 8 p.m. Um, but then, uh, you know, like the flip of that was that um, I ended up like basically relying on and, and using cannabis too much, not only to get to sleep, but also to deal with um, some of the rejection sensitive dysphoria, um, some of the like the the feelings of inadequacy, a lot of the low self-esteem stuff. It was, um, you know, basically some people end up using cocaine um, because it helps them focus on ADHD people, excuse me. Um, for me, it was like, yeah, it was like high grade cannabis concentrates mm-hmm. where like the kind of line up my brain and like kind of got that focus that I needed. Um, but yeah, but it also like it really ultimately kind of like slowed me down and frankly you know like i have problems with depression as is the last thing i need is more depressants in my system um so yeah doing all of these things is partly me keeping myself busy so that it's like okay well if i have myself scheduled within an inch of my life with things that i find interesting and engaging then there's not the time to just like sit around and get stoned and (laughs) you know, play a video game that I've played like 500 hours on already or something like that. Um, So I'm just like trying to, as you say, just be more, and especially because now with the understanding that I do have ADHD and that I need to do this, I'm really just trying to be intentional about how I use my time because I mean, really there's that phrase about like use it or lose it. That is maybe no more applicable than with time and ADHD people because there's, I mean, even like, there's times when so what i've started to do is just put a sticky note with whatever i'm supposed to be doing in that particular moment right in front of me because like i literally need it right there or i will just something will catch my eye and before i know it i've lost 15 minutes like looking through some papers 
that were like stacked on a bench and like, oh yeah, I got to like file these bank statements away or whatever. And then before I know it, all this time is gone. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's so much in that. And, you know, even like I was telling you earlier, 10 o'clock on a Saturday night, I decide my desk needs to be by the window there. And my meds are worn off. So impulse control doesn't exist for me anymore. <laughs> so we just have to do this thing now, 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 now. Um, and because I've come to understand that my brain works in right now and not right now. Like I, I don't really have a future concept. Mm. I, I don't think I ever really have, even though I've tried to, it, it doesn't exist for me. And so when, you know, when we talk about uh, the sobriety, and I do think it's a really good idea to do a full episode about how we self-medicate mm-hmm. um, because I, I definitely used booze and drugs throughout my twenties and thirties and even into my forties, um, not just as a super, super, a social lubricant, mm. but like a social necessity. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> because booze helped, it gave me bravado, like that was false bravado. But it, it made me feel like I was, you know, exciting and fun and great to be around. Um, the hangovers were existential. Um, but at the time, you know, like um, booze and, you know, and I, and I will say, I think I'm okay with saying this, like in my 20s, I'm away from all that now. But a cocaine was a, a soother for me. It gave mm. me confidence. Um, and, you know, of course, I haven't touched any of that stuff for years. But it it really did help me. And then. Um, cannabis, uh, this summer when I lost my job in June, I was really struggling to sleep. Um, I haven't been diagnosed yet. Uh, the pandemic was just, it just anxiety, 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 and my course, brain yeah. just wouldn't turn off. And there's a place called the Buddha barn just around the corner, yeah. of us, uh, which has like lovely selections of cannabis. Um, so I'd go there and I would get the drops and, and I started smoking pot again after years because it was the only way I could get to sleep. I, I just couldn't turn my mind off and it helped, you know, um, and I would use like two different strains, right? Like I would use this, um, the more like kind of social giggly strain, which sometimes sure. would literally mean I would be like on my back, legs in the air, laughing my head <clears throat> off for like nothing, <laughs> but that's dopamine, right? Like I needed it. Um, so I, I'm not using any of those things at the moment because I, you know, um, am taking Concerta, and it's not advisable to mix right. those things. And and I have been reading that sometimes cannabis is actually not a good thing, but many people use it uh, with ADHD without even knowing um, that it is soothing some of the things that cause us so many problems. Right. Right. Just existing, just being in the yep. world, you know, um, without just feeling like a raw nerve all the time. And yeah, I'm realizing that. Um... I went off on so many different tangents that I'd ever actually wrapped up the whole purpose of me starting that uh, anecdote, which is to say that uh, I also got sober. Um, let me see here. What is today? The fourth? Uh, just just a little over five months ago. Um, so I haven't been drinking or using cannabis, um, which has been honestly really fucking difficult for me at times booze with booze was a cinch that was so 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 easy mode it was fine uh cannabis has been really really difficult for me because like um i lived for a really long time um between needing to get to sleep at night and dealing with all of the stress and anxiety and all the shit that i had going on in my work life at the time you know it was like the first thing i did when i got out of bed in the morning and the last thing i did before i went to bed at night and Again, like it gave me the quote 
like kind of social armor that I needed to get through mm -hmm. some of my engagements, um, especially because I was severely depressed at the time. Um, but yeah, I kind of like, I realized this past summer that that was really just something that wasn't serving me anymore. Like mm -hmm. it was really keeping me from getting the shit that I needed done, done. Um, and so, yeah, like I've, my, my sleep is like not great lately, partly because I've just started medication. Um, and so, you know, having stimulants in my system all the time mm -hmm. is new for me. Uh, and then cutting out cannabis is part of that too. But I have found that like, um, being really consistent about exercise and try as I might, I haven't been great about, you know, getting off the computer closer to bed because I've just had so much work to do lately. Um, but that's one that I definitely notice when I'm able to be disciplined about that helps. So, Oh, definitely. I, I notice a huge difference if I, I set a really hard stop on, on my screens, but I, yeah, I think over the quote holidays, whatever that even meant, <laughs> this year, like I just, I didn't know what day it was. And, and, and I just kind of up my dose of the Concerta as well. So mm -hmm. it's been really great because um, my first round, I was crashing really hard at four o'clock in the afternoon to the point where I couldn't really function. And I was incredibly irritable. Um, and this dose is better because it's smoother and it's longer. Um, but I do find that it's 10 o'clock before I'm really kind of winding down. Um, and I was previously before being diagnosed, like crawling into bed at like nine o'clock just because I couldn't cope. But, but I wasn't necessarily sleeping. I was usually just lying there ruminating. <laughs> um, so it wasn't that it was all that rest or restful or restorative and I was getting right. up at 6 a.m. Um, so, uh, you know, that was partly the function of the job that I was doing at the time. Um, but I do find that this, the screen piece for me now, like, oh, uh, my partner was laughing his head off last night because he came home and I literally had like ergonomic chairs, like six tabs open, like studying ergonomic chairs. <laughs> like I've got to find a chair solution. Like when I decide I need a solution. Yep. And nothing else matters. Just all I think about, right? And it's just like I gotta figure this out, right? Um, but yeah, I and just in general, have you seen the social dilemma yet? Uh, no, I haven't. Netflix. Uh, this is something I've known for years, Jordan. And, and you know, you and I both worked um, in a place at the time where you know having a sticky website was like the goal, right? You wanted mm -hmm. people there. You wanted people more or less addicted. But the social dilemma just kind of unpacks that, you know, from the insiders of Google and you know, all these different companies. That have, yeah. <laughs> these places that have like addicted us for like over a decade yeah. now. Right. And I've been fighting it for so long. Like in 2014, I was like, these people don't care about you. You need to stop doing this. And people are like, when you're addicted, it doesn't matter. Right. Um, and after coming back to Instagram and Twitter, I am doing my best to treat it intentionally, but I do find that with ADHD, it is a bit of a, a quick and dirty dopamine hit. Um, and so I am kind of pulled back to it and I do have to cut it off, especially if there's something going on in the world news, which is so exhausting, especially with our neighbors to the South. I have to, I have to put the freedom app on my browser. Otherwise it'll be, the cascade, it starts on the New York Times, and then I go to the Washington Post, and then I go to CNN, and then I go to the Atlantic, and then I, and I'm like, what am I doing? It's all the same story written right. differently, right? <laughs> and it's all, you know, from the left, and so I'm not getting the whole picture, and 
yeah, there's there's so many things to kind of, I think that would be a full episode for us to talk about as well, is just how we interact with and are influenced by our social media. Yes. And and how it can just be, so, it can be such a gift, but it can also be so detrimental to our mental well-being. Well, the, the thing that struck me the most, um, and this is something that I've, I've known and heard reportage on before, at least that's my recollection. I might be just making this shit up out of whole cloth, but I don't think that that's the case. <laughs> but my recollection, um, oh shit, I completely lost my train of thought. What were we just talking about? Okay, we were just talking about being addicted to the news. And right, yes. Media. Okay, so so before I even understood myself as an ADHD person, my understanding was that um, UX design in social media, in apps, in smartphones, and all this kind of stuff is effectively like designed to be maximally disruptive and basically like not give people ADHD, but increase the likelihood that people without ADHD behave in manners resembling it. Let's put it that way. And so that, that gearing of everything in the world to be, as you say, maximally sticky, that was great phrasing, by the way, um, Mm -hmm. that stickiness, if that disrupts the lives of regular people that much to where like, you know, we're getting all this coverage in, you know, Mm -hmm. like, like, as you say, it's been a decade's worth of coverage now of like, what is social media doing to our brain? What are smartphones doing to our brain? All these questions. Um, and, and yeah, and I think that the overall effect is to make the world less ADHD friendly and particularly hard for us to get along in. Yes, absolutely. And, and addicted people are not um, really being themselves, right? Um, there's a book that I'm listening to right now called You're Not Listening, <clears throat> which is hilarious. <laughs> and I'm listening to an audio book called that. Uh, and the woman who wrote it is named uh, Kate Murphy. And she talks about how, why everything kind of has gone south or sideways or however you want to put it uh, politically, because people have been monitoring social media and using social media's um, outputs and metrics to measure where people are sitting politically. Mm. But it's the same thing as like trying to, she compared it to going to a casino. And when people are in an addicted mode in a casino, you're not going to get straight answers out of them because they're going to be manipulative. They're going to be performative and they're not, they're not really going to be themselves. Right. And so when you, when you look at social media and being this entirely performative and addictive thing that we're all doing, that's not a true measure of where we're at society as a society right um, because people that are you know performative allies that you know put a little black square right. in june they went and they voted along the lines of what's going to benefit them financially and that, that and it was horrifying for everybody but it's just the way it is right so i mean i don't take um anything that i see on social media all that seriously anymore because it's not really what's going on you know um, and and our ADHD brains, my ADHD brains get it gets so agitated and reactive and triggered by things that I see on social media. Um, and it's we've talked about this before, but I mean, it certainly have a mortifying history of oversharing on Facebook before I kind of got my brain um, before I realized what was happening. Uh, and you know, I'm certainly not proud of that, and it makes me feel a little bit cringy. But at that, I also understand too, if I'm going to be compassionate to myself, that that was, that was the 
the platform that was it was designed to to do that to me it was designed to make me feel agitated and and want to overshare um because we do all want to be seen mm-hmm. um and i think that there was some genuine desire there um but you know everybody knows this now that the algorithms are designed for agitated responses and you know oh, good lord it's so tiring but yeah it's it's <laughs> social media it just doesn't distinguish between kind of, I guess, quote, good and bad engagement. Um, it's just hmm. numbers are numbers, engagement's engagement. That's right. Yeah. So yeah, that, that's exactly what it is. And it is all data. And and when you're just looking at things through that lens, you're not getting the whole picture. And I, I think I'm going into another kind of area that we could reserve for a whole episode about social media, but it is something I've thought about for years. And uh, it's it's just not ethical, and and they do talk about this in this in the social dilemma. Mm. You know the the big brains that work in uh, Silicon Valley trying to addict us to our phones. They won't let their kids anywhere near this shit. Yeah, Every, all, all their kids are in Montessori schools. They're all like, yeah, they get no TV. They <laughs> they they walk around Walden Pond for their <laughs> recreational time. It's all it's all wooden toys, and uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Mary Poppins <laughs> teaching you a new language and stuff like that. Right. Where they tell the rest of the kids, like, you, you need to learn how to code by your 10 or you're going to yeah. be fucked. Right? No, no, no. Eat, eat, eat your Lunchables and play fucking Farmville, kiddo. <laughs> That's what your peons oh get. That's what the peons get. You know, you're just a drone. Just spews yourself to the device now because your life is going to be hell <laughs> for the next 50 years. <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> um, yeah. So that was the addictive piece. And the- yeah. So before we get off social media, I actually wanted to ask you specifically about Twitter for a moment um, because I'm new to Twitter. I have uh, always kind of like, there's a few people's Twitters that like their pages I would regularly check, but I didn't actually make an account until recently. And mm-hmm. um, Twitter's interesting for me because it's sort of, I notice in me, at least, that it has a uniquely addictive potential, um, not in terms of well, what I like about Twitter is the utter contextlessness of it, because that's very well geared for someone like me who just like has a weird thought of just like a funny phrase or like a dumb pun or three words that go together. And like, mm-hmm. I instantly have the ability to just like put that in my phone and it's gone and it's out of my brain and I got it dealt with, um, <laughs> which is really funny because it, it, it uh, it's something that I'm realizing is like, again, trying to like juggle those different distractions and evaluate, okay, what is like the good input that is coming in right now? What's the stuff that I need to focus on? What's relevant information? But mm-hmm. like, there's a weird sort of like, we were talking before about needing to talk and say things to kind of like process and resolve. Mm-hmm. I, I almost feel like if I don't get these weird little things out of my brain, they're the things that will rattle around for like four or five days still that I'll just keep finding myself thinking about. Like I just kept finding myself thinking about just literally this very, very stupid visual joke for like four days uh, <laughs> until I finally like literally learned Photoshop to make this joke happen and get it the fuck out of my head and on the timeline. <laughs> so yeah i haven't like I, I don't actually spend that much time looking through it but i'm recognizing that i'm very eager to like i feel like i'm champing at the bit to post on there all the time because mm. that format is sort of like very well geared to how my brain works 
I like the impersonality and the shortness of it. So, yeah. And I think what actually drew me back to Twitter after leaving it in 2016 for obvious reasons, um, whatever, uh, yes. dog show, um, I, I was doing research on ADHD and I just kept coming across like tweets and, you know, people were saying this and that and the other thing. And then, and I realized there's, there's an ADHD Twitter, like it's a whole community of people that talk just about that and talk about their experiences and they share resources and they support each other. And that was very appealing to me. But for me, that's um, a little bit of tricky territory as well, because I could so easily just spend all day reading and relating and responding. Mm -hmm. right? So I, I do have to kind of set some boundaries around it. <clears throat> so I think it's so cool that you're using it as a bit of a brain dump and I think that that is a very effective use of it. I, and I do know that on Twitter, I do tend to be a bit more of a consumer because I get super intimidated by how witty everybody else is. <laughs> and so I often won't say all that much. I'll just retweet with a little bit of this here and there because I feel um, daunted. Um, but, but I think that that's a really wise way to use Twitter. Like it's, it shows a lot of, I think, understanding of what, how your brain works, right? Like mm. you just need to get these things out. And, and I think that's, I think that's a good thing provided, you know, you're not still at it at two or three in the morning. Right? Not only that, but like, it's also, I could do this in a notepad file. So like, this isn't some totally like, oh yeah, this is just like a coping and wellness thing. It's like, no, <laughs> this is also, I want attention and I want people to look. <laughs> also laugh at this thing that I thought was funny. That is, that is very, very, very much a part of it. Don't get me wrong. This isn't like <laughs> purely therapeutic or anything. This is my morning pages. Um, right. But yeah, but I just, I, I thought that it was interesting that I had avoided it for so long um, mm. and finding out that it's kind of like, oh, this is actually really well geared mm. to kind of like the way I sort of, the way my brain functions. But um, yeah, mm. so speaking of ADHD Twitter, is that, was that sort of like your window into suspecting that you had it or what's, hmm. what's kind of your path to figuring that out for yourself? article and then got distracted. And like, I don't think I ever actually finished the whole article, but something in my brain went, that, that's me. Hmm. And then, so I started, I was going to start doing research and then got distracted and I didn't, and I forgot <laughs> about it. And then it was days later that a friend of mine texted me and said, I am 99.9% .9 sure I have ADHD. And we've known each other since uh, being in the same writing group in Calgary many years ago. Mm. And she recently had moved to Vancouver. And we've been spending a fair amount of time together over the summer recovering from work burnout and socially distanced, of course. Of course. Um, and so that was like another, oh, hmm. And so then I started doing more research on it online and, and I did a couple of the online tests and I was like off the charts. Like every time I took a thing, they were like, go see a psychiatrist, go see somebody. And I was like, okay. And so I made an appointment with my doctor and we talked about it and she said, oh, this is making a lot of sense. She's known me now for about two years. And I had been in her office last year around this time bawling my eyes out because I could not get it together. I was just constantly overwhelmed. And we had done all the tests. We had tested my thyroid. Um, I had iron injections. I, um, she had tested my hormones. I had paid a naturopath 
thousands of dollars to do additional tests of my hormones and everything was coming out the way it should be for a woman my age. I wasn't completely deficient in estrogen. I was, my thyroid was, you know, within clinical range, everything that would point to, you know, things like feeling overwhelmed and brain fog and not being able to sleep. Those weren't the reason. So for her, it was like, it was a bit of an aha moment when I brought it up because that was exactly what was going on. Right. So she uh, gave me some more diagnostic tests to fill out and we did an email. We've been doing everything over video um, lately, of course, with the pandemic. And, and so she said, let's, let's start on some medication and see how it goes. And so she started me on the the lower, like the mid range dose of the Concerta, the 26, I believe. And it was amazing. I could focus. What really helped like almost immediately was impulse control. Mm. It has been, it's so exhausting. I love living in Vancouver because of the access to all the different markets, but I spend all my money there <laughs> because I literally go to buy oat milk and I spend $80. <laughs> I never think to spend, I never think to have a list. Why would I have a list when there's all these lovely things I can buy here? Ooh, what's this? I've never tried this before. What's this fruit? You know, and then half of it ends up rotting in the fridge. And so the first thing that happened as soon as I started taking the Concerta was I would go to the store to buy oat milk and buy oat milk and leave. Mm. Um, And I've started actually making shopping lists. And it's so wonderful because I actually leave the store with what I intended to to get. Right. And yeah, there's, um, there's, you know, a little bit more to it in the sense that we, we tried Dexedrine after about two weeks because of some, you know, insurance coverage issues. And that was awful. Mm. I felt like I was on speed. I couldn't sleep. My brain was going faster than I liked it going. I was productive as fuck, but I didn't like how I felt in my body. My hands were shaking. I felt kind of clammy. My heart was racing. So I, I took it for five days and then stopped. And now I'm back in the concert at a slightly higher dose. And it, and it lasts me now until about seven o'clock at night. Mm. And then I noticed the crash. And, Right. Anybody in my vicinity notices the crash. Because <laughs> it's a it's a thing. So what yeah. does the crash look like for you? Um, mm. Is it just tired or do you like, do you find there's mood changes? Uh, it's a pretty significant mood change for me. So uh, I, I do feel, um, I sometimes just feel really deflated and defeated um, and just really sad. But that has kind of like, that has leveled out now. And it's more just a, a sense of fatigue and just all my ADHD symptoms come roaring back. Mm. So the impulse control goes out the window. I can't focus. I can't sit on the couch for more than five minutes. Even just having a conversation, I'm not like, doing something. Um, <clears throat> I, I definitely go on little, you know, scroll benders <laughs> if I'm not uh, careful. Um but I, I think the awareness of knowing what the concerta crash is has been really helpful. So now I take ashwagandha as well at around mm-hmm. six o'clock and that, and that just kind of like levels things out for me and my cortisol doesn't go um, over the top. Yeah. Um, and what about you? I want to talk a little bit more about your. Uh, uh, yeah. And I'll get there in a sec. I was just, I was interested in asking about the concerta thing because um, I actually, I, I wasn't aware that there was kind of a crash and mm-hmm. something that I've noticed this week is, like I said, I've had a lot of long days. I've probably been doing like, 
five five to midnight i think i did five to one the other day like just long days of working um and of course nobody's at their best after you know at the end of one of those days but um that's when i really noticed like some of the mood swings returning um like Hmm. finding myself being like quicker to get frustrated and angry um if Hmm. there's something that's outside of my control that's impeding me from getting something done um so that's interesting i hadn't thought of that through the lens of like well you're more prone to this stuff because your stimulant dose is worn off which it would have by that point in the day so that's something that's really good for me to kind of like keep awareness of so yeah that's why we're doing this we're like educating Mm. each other and hopefully whomever's listening to this so yeah the fucking frustration right like that's that's a good one to to uh, remember that that is that is definitely a a dip in dopamine yeah and that's why you can't um just let let that shit go right yeah um and but it's interesting to me that you and i connected like shortly after we were both diagnosed my timeline is a little bit longer than yours was i started to suspect that i might have adhd uh 2018 um so i mentioned a little bit earlier that i had uh started a cannabis prescription 2017 or so um and so that was going well um and then my work changed 2017 um my job changed And I was really starting to kind of like have more troubles in work. And part of that was certainly like job stuff. Um, I now know kind of ex post facto that parts of what I was being asked to do were uniquely ill-suited for an ADHD person to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And also that the environment was so 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 far from optimal for me to be doing my work not only just the physical work environment and the office but also the supports that i had in terms of like the management support that i did or didn't have um and some of the other kind of like resources uh that i wish had been in place i feel like i could have had an easier time there and ultimately um you know worked around things but Anyway, so all this was to say, I started to suspect this in 2018, um, but I was also going through a pretty major depressive episode. Uh, This would have been late 2018. Um, And so I spoke to my doctor at the time about the possibility that I might have ADHD. My counselor had brought it up um, based on some of the stuff that I was telling her and it kind of made sense for me too. just like, oh, interesting, like, I never considered that possibility, but I certainly, from the little bit that I know about it, I certainly recognize aspects of it in myself. Mm -hmm. Um, But as you say, like, I, I never felt like I was someone who had their shit together, but I realized that that is definitely the impression that other people have of me. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe because I'm just good at faking. Uh, Maybe that's why I got back (laughs) into theater after so long. I don't know. Um, But yeah, so so basically I started taking Concerta um, on my doctor's recommendation 2018, um, and it really helped with the focus, but it just absolutely annihilated my sleep. I was not getting anything, and I, like I said, I've been a light sleeper my entire life, mm-hmm. um, and I was just under so much stress and so depressed and so deep in a hole that I couldn't, like, the the losing that sleep would have been a game ender for me. So at that point, it was just like, I can't, I can't do this right now. So I'm just going to like 
if I do have ADHD, well, fuck it. I've been coping fine so far. So like, we'll get, we'll get, we'll, we'll <laughs> kick that can a little bit further down the road and deal with the like depression end of it and then pick that up a little bit further. So, and it's interesting because I kind of wish in retrospect that I had approached it the other way now, because from all the reading I've since done, I understand now that depression and a lot of the other stuff that's gone on in my life, um, is basically more than likely a secondary symptom of ADHD. Like this stuff is from absorbing negative messages about yourself from other people and yourself for your entire lifetime. And, you know, that moral dimension that I was talking about before, blaming yourself for all these things that you can't do, not understanding that it's a can't do, not a refuses to do or a won't do. Um, but yeah, it's like, it's like, no, there's actually an impediment here. Um, I ultimately ended up uh, burning out of my job uh, for a few different reasons. Again, I wish that I had the knowledge that I had now to be able to kind of advocate for myself better, to be able to articulate what I needed, um, both in terms of a work structure and a work environment. It, it's been interesting, though, to kind of like get this diagnose. Well, there I go saying diagnosis again. <laughs> become medicated again and recognize the effect that the medication is having. But um, more so than the medication, uh, the biggest thing that helped me get my head around things and make a difference for myself in my life is doing all the reading that I've done and hmm. sort of this reconceptualization of myself. Um, so I had done in 2018, a little bit of reading. I had read some of a book called, um, I'm not lazy, crazy, or stupid, something along those lines. Mm -hmm. uh, and then another one that I can't remember the name of right now. It had a blue cover with green text. I'm sure that's super helpful. The word ADD was in the title. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I read a couple of books and kind of, again, like had the suspicion still that like I recognize facets of myself in this for sure. Um, but then the one that I read this fall was a book called Driven to Distraction. And that mm -hmm. was the one where it was just like, oh, holy shit, this is me in every anecdote. This is me on every page. And then like you were talking about the online tests and stuff. I haven't actually taken any of those things, um, but going through this kind of like symptom list and the thing being like, it was, it was a list of 25 different symptoms. Um, 25 is my recollection. And it was like, if you have 18 or more of these, like there's a very high likelihood that you have ADHD and I had 24. <laughs> there was like literally the only one that wasn't on there was like the kind of classic running around hyperactivity um, mm -hmm. that that's just that's never been me. Um, and I suspect that there's a lot of underdiagnosed men like me that don't have that kind of classic male uh, symptom of hyperactivity. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, so that's kind of like I also have largely been figuring this stuff out for myself in the last couple of months. Um, and yeah, so it's like, I'm really still going through this kind of like really raw emotional processing phase of like, um, you know, having, having again, this, like this, this knowledge that I'm a good, valuable person who brings great things to the world and is capable of wonderful things and I just need a different kind of support system than most people do to kind of get myself there. And there's other things that like other people can't do that I have unique access to. Like I recognize I'm a very, very strong lateral thinker. 
I'm very, very strong in like pattern recognition skills. I'm very strong in empathy and reading people and like talking with people and engaging with people. And that's hard for a lot of people because mm-hmm. again, they just perceive the world differently than I do. So, um, mm-hmm. so yeah. And then like the flip of that though, is along with all these kinds of like forgiveness is, you know, I'm still, I'm going through basically a second grieving process for this mm-hmm. job that I left. Um, because it's something that now with all the reading that I'm doing, I realize was actually like uniquely well-suited for my ADHD brain and particularly kind of the pattern recognition stuff, um, organizing information and kind of grouping like things. That's another manifestation of it in me that, um, is there in my dad too. He also has ADHD. Um, Mm -hmm. and yeah. And so, um, yeah, I'm getting, I had done so much kind of like processing this year about like, okay, well, there were things that were, you know, not my problem, but then I also kind of had to like go through and like do a lot of self-examination and figure out, okay, so what was my problem? Where were the places where like I was not showing up the way I needed to for that role? And what do I need to do to change this going forward and blah, blah, blah. And then, so again, I kind of went through this whole process of like forgiving myself and moving on. But again, with the understanding that I was effectively the driver or the catalyst or somehow in control of this situation. And so again, I'm kind of having that recontextualization again, upended and being like, well, no, like this was also like, it's, it, it's hard to go through this thing again. Now that I know that like, as far as day jobs go, that was a, pretty good one for me to have and knowing how hard it is for ADHD people to find nine to fives that they resonate with. I mean, I was in that job for almost 14 years because Mm -hmm. it really suited my brain and I genuinely liked the work. It's so grief. The grief that goes with this is, is real. Mm -hmm. And, and you're mentioning something that I've struggled with throughout my career you know, I've worked as a waitress until I was in my early thirties and, and a couple times, even again, after that, mm-hmm. because my ADHD brain could function in that environment of just like chaos. Yeah. And just, it, it was, it was toxic, but it was also easy for me because I didn't have to think strategically. All I had to do was just react, 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 react all day long. And then getting into journalism, getting into communications, the storytelling side of things is what lights me up it's what nourishes me i mean conversations i i think of myself as a compassionate um, person i love doing research i love finding new new ways of looking at things i I think i'm also pretty good at pattern recognition but the nine to five piece has always eluded me and i realized that the longest i've ever lasted at a single job in a professional context doing you know communication is 10 months because I didn't know why I would get um, completely exhausted in a windowless boardroom because I couldn't stare at the window and daydream. Um, and I couldn't, I couldn't listen to people. You know, I remember even at our old workplace, the, the boardroom was windowless. And mm-hmm. anytime we went in there to do a brainstorming session or have a long meeting about something that was going on with the community, I would immediately, as soon as I sat down in that chair, want to take a nap. Mm. 
like it was really hard for me to contribute anything meaningful. And I would just get, I would, I would try to stimulate myself now that I look back on it, you know, by having uplifting, fun conversations about whatever, or talk about music. And, uh, and it's so um, difficult, I suppose, to look back on some of those things, you know, you, you know, you talk about uh, being with Getty for 14 years and, and it totally makes sense to me that you would thrive in that kind of environment if you had the right support system around you. And when I look at um, like my last job working uh, in nonprofit, there were some aspects of that that completely suited me. You know, the storytelling side of things, talking to folks in the community, they were getting benefits from the organization, mm. um, coming up with creative, brainstorming, those things, loved them. Absolutely. The problem was for me is that it was a really strict hierarchy and a lot of people with ADHD struggle in hierarchical situations. And boy, I, I like, there's something like some kind of like ragey punk Rocky thing that comes out of me when somebody just tells me, you know, I'm the boss, you do this. I can't cope. I need to mm -hmm. know why I need to know why the fuck I'm doing this thing. And for me, uh, sitting in a, in a windowless boardroom with an inept uh, department director who wanted us to organize his files for him actually made me feel real rage in my body. And I couldn't, I just couldn't do it. And, you know, in retrospect, I think that that particular organization has a long way to go to be the organization it claims to be. I don't think they supported me even in my hearing loss when I asked multiple times to be, to have meetings held in different ways because the meetings were being held in rooms where the sound would bounce off the wall. And if there was more than two people talking, I couldn't hear a fucking thing. It was so hard for me, but it, that was a combination of my hearing loss and the ADHD. And for those that I guess don't know me, I'm, I'm basically a cyborg. I'm deaf in my left ear and I wear hearing aids. Right. So um, in meeting situations where multiple people are talking, I a, can't, I hear everything and then nothing. And the ADHD brain can't even, doesn't even know what to do with that. Yeah. Um, so I have felt a lot of sadness this year and the burnout that I experienced in June was real. I mean, it took physically, it took me three months just to recover my body after being perpetually exhausted from just being in a grind because oftentimes the nonprofit world is, is every day is an emergency. So we were already every day as an emergency because we have to raise all this money in order to continue to exist. And then the pandemic hit. Holy Fuck. Like we were, I was like sitting down at my computer at 6 30 in the morning and then looking up at like seven o'clock at night, mm. you know, um, eating power bars. I was at home. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I should have been having a lunch, you know, like a hot lunch at home. And I couldn't even do that because it was just Zoom meeting after Zoom meeting after Zoom meeting. And I was just, yeah, I was so done by the end of it. So there is this kind of, it's a grief. Um, and I don't want to put all the responsibility on the organization because I know I played my part as well. But at the same time, like I just, I would really hope for a world where people that think differently and are neurodivergent and have all these wonderful attributes to bring to the table, that organizations would um, find ways to embrace that instead of making it a failing. You know, um, I remember at one point the HR person said, well, we don't feel that you treat this job with enough urgency. I was like, fuck, are you kidding me? I've been on like urgent mode since I started here. What the hell are you even talking about? Right. But like for them, they didn't see it that way. Um, so 
I think, you know, this is a bit soapboxy on my part, but I, I really do feel that if you want to retain good talent, have good people like you and I, I think are both smart um, people that can bring a lot to any organization that we work with. But I just think there needs to be a rethinking of that in the corporate sector, like the, these like um, hardwired hierarchies, they're not working. Like people, even people that I knew at United Way where I worked shortly after I left, rampant burnout. People were just like mental health leave, mental health leave, mental health leave. So I wasn't alone. You know, it's not just people that are with ADHD that struggle in those kinds of environments. It's everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that's just kind of my little rant about that because I do feel like the future of work is, it needs to be looked at through a more compassionate lens. And I think if the pandemic has shown us that, you know, is that the way that things were working in the hierarchies doesn't, doesn't benefit. It doesn't even benefit the organization. That's what I was just going to say, Roberta, is that I'm, I'm totally with you in terms of like my own personal framing is around this being a human dignity issue and -hmm. everybody being able to like, feel like they contribute or feel like they have what they need access to in order to like live the kind of life that they want to live. Um, Mm. But even if you don't see the world through that lens, the point that you just brought up, which is just like, let's just look at it through a purely pragmatic lens. You and I are both enormously talented, smart individuals with so much to bring to any organization. And we need organizations that work a little bit differently from the kind of like de facto corporate standard or are willing to make those accommodations to accommodate us. That's not asking much. And my suspicion is that there are a lot more people out there like us. Again, very, very talented, useful people who would who who maybe are doing well or possibly even thriving in their current jobs and mm-hmm. making a ton of money for their organizations. And they could be making even more money for those organizations and being even more productive mm-hmm. with the stuff that they have in place to kind of like, you know, get stuff done. But yeah, it was like I left a well-paid job that I was uniquely suited at and that I enjoyed and that I had a lot of great social contacts in for, you know, reasons that I now know could have been worked around. And that sucks. It does suck. That's my story of kind of how I came to figure out that I have ADHD. Um, And Roberta has shared hers. And I hope that in the weeks and months, years, decades to come, that you'll hear a lot of other people's stories about figuring out that they are adults with ADHD. Yes. And this is, this feels like an invitation. Yeah, it does. Do you want to issue a formal invitation, Roberta? (laughs) So if you're listening to this and you think you might have ADHD or you recently got diagnosed with ADHD, someone you love has it, then please know you're not alone. And, And this thing is real and it can make a dramatic impact on your life once you have some understanding of it. So we hope you'll keep listening and hang out with us for a little while because because this shit's real. If you have your own sort of first person experience as an adult with ADD, ADHD, and you would like to share it with us and the listeners of the show, 
you can find a link on our anchor.fm page where you can leave us a voicemail. Um, we can't promise to use everything. We may use some things right away. We may save some things for future episodes if we're covering a particular topic. Uh, we may use some of them as standalones if it's a nice little short anecdote that is useful to illustrate a point to people who don't have ADD, ADHD. Uh, and so, yeah, if you want to share, feel free to leave us some material on our voicemail. I'm Jordan Lane. I'm Robbie McDonald. Thanks. <laughs>